If you would, turn in the Bible to Luke chapter 1. I said last week that we didn't intend to do everything from Luke chapter 1 when we started out, but that's the way it's turned out. It seems like we've got a nice series going here. Four Sundays ago was promise needed. We looked at our sinfulness and the way the world has fallen and Adam and Eve's disobedience and how we need God to do something because we can't do something to save ourselves. Week two, we looked at promise made. God made a promise and makes promises. Week three, we looked at promise expected, that we are waiting for God to fulfill his promises and keep them. And then last week, we looked at that very thing, that God is a promise keeper, a promise keeping God. He keeps his promises and he kept his promise in sending a savior, okay? And that's what all of these New Testament passages are about, that when Christ came, God was keeping his promises that a savior would come. Well, we're finished with all of that. And this morning is Christmas morning. And so I want us to look back to these birth narratives. We're still here in Luke 1. But it's not going to be Mary's song this morning. We've, we've looked at Mary's song many times. Today we're going to look at what Zechariah said. We're going to look today at this prophecy, this long passage. It's verses 68 through 79. We're going to look at that. But we're going to, we're going to focus in on verse 78. Look at Luke 1, 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God. That expression there caught my attention some time ago, probably around Thanksgiving weekend as we started to get into these Christmas passages. And I have been taken back First of all, the emphasis on mercy, and I've already said that to you all several times over this last month, it seems that there's a theme that Luke is showing us on mercy. But here, like nowhere else, mercy is magnified by calling it tender mercy. Tender is a good word. And I hope and pray that this morning God would Convict our hearts and give us faith and build us up to know his tender mercy. A couple years ago, somebody gave me a gift, a $125 gift card to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. I was a skeptic when I got that gift card. I'd never been before. I had the attitude of a steak's a steak, man. Texas Roadhouse is good enough for me. And this 125 gift card would probably go four times over at Texas Roadhouse. That was my attitude at first. Not the attitude now. I took my wife. I wore a coat and tie. We went to Ruth's Chris, and I ordered a nice steak. So nice, I'll be honest, 125 didn't cover it, Okay. <laughs> But I ordered the nicest steak. And that thing cut so easily, I don't know if I even needed a steak knife. My butter knife that I was buttering a roll with probably cut through that steak. It was so nice. You know what they call that? Tender. That steak is so tender. If you're eating a steak and you got to kind of get your elbow into it, 
Like, that's not tender. Tender is when it is so soft. You know the word tender. They use it with steaks. But here in Luke 1, Zechariah uses that word, and it's a, it's a good word. It's, it's, it's kind of like a, a, a word, that word in referring to the heart of God. Last night in here, we emphasized that the angel's announcement to the shepherds out in the field that night in Luke chapter 2 was that this good news of great joy would be for all the people. And I tried to say last night and emphasize to us last night that you and I need to be reminded that God is not owning in on a certain type of people. God has a heart for people. And what the scriptures reveal is so often it's the type of people that you and I do not have a heart for. He has a tender heart. Here, Zechariah calls it tender mercy. He shows mercy out of his tender heart. So here's what happens in Luke chapter 1. Before Mary is told that she's going to have a baby, Elizabeth and Zechariah are told that they're going to have a baby. Okay, I, I think you know this, but that's the way it goes. Elizabeth and Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary are cousins, <coughs> are told that they're going to have a baby. And then after that, Mary and Joseph are told that they're going to have a baby. And so it unfolds like this in Luke. Well, when, when, when the angel comes to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a baby. See, Mary's situation is that she was so young and she was a virgin, couldn't have a kid. Elizabeth's a little bit different. They were older, they were barren, they just couldn't have kids. So when the angel came and tell, told Zechariah, you're going to have a baby, Zechariah kind of didn't believe. Remember, Mary's posture was beautiful. and She kind of accepted it. She had a few questions, <clears throat> but she trusted. Zechariah was a little bit disbelief, okay? Because of that, the angel says, hey, God's the one that sent me. If you're not going to believe God's message... You can't talk. And they made, God and the angel made Zechariah mute, the Bible says, until the baby was born. They taught him a lesson, you might say. They didn't beat him down. They just made him where he couldn't speak. The Bible says he used signs and was trying to do things. They, they took a tablet and he wrote on there. Well, when, when, when the baby was born, it says that they thought that they would name him Zechariah after his dad. That's what they did. And Elizabeth spoke up and said, no, no, no. It's not going to be Zechariah. And everybody's like, what, what do you mean? It's not going to be Zechariah. It's not going to be Zechariah. And they're like, why? We're going to name him John. And the Bible says they're like, John? There's nobody in your family named John. Where where'd that name come from? name came from God. That's what they're going to call him. So they named him John. Well, they say, well, we need to ask Zechariah first. And they hand him a tablet. And they say, you tell us what's he going to be called. And he writes on the tablet, John. So they named him John. Once they did that, his mouth was open. And he began to speak. That's the story. And when his mouth was open and he began to speak, here's what he said. Read with me, starting 
in verse 64. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? Now this isn't Jesus they're talking about. This is John. For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, now here it is. Here's this great response that Zechariah says. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy, there's our word, mercy, Promise to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, he's still, he's talking about John, he's not talking about Jesus. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I said with Mary, and I'll say it now with Zechariah, Sometimes the story is presented to us or remembered by believers in our day as just all shock factor. Like this birth and this pregnancy came out of nowhere and it just blindsided everybody and we love that cute story. And that's not accurate. These people were believers. These people knew God and his promises, and they were longing for God to reveal where salvation would come from. In other words, they knew that they sinned. They knew they needed forgiveness. They knew that they could not save themselves. They knew that they could not earn it or work good enough or be good enough. They knew this. So they trusted in God for the salvation that God gives. They just didn't know exactly what that would look like. And so what we have in these beautiful Mary's song and, and Zechariah's thing here, his prophecy that he says here, what we have here is this great revealing of the faith that they had. It's awesome. We wouldn't call them Old Testament saints, but they're like Old Testament saints. They are believers in the promises of God that he's a saving God. That salvation would come outside of ourselves. And you have to believe that. Well, in, in all that he just said, and obviously it's filled with hope of the Old Testament promises. It's filled with knowledge of the truth of God. It's filled with an understanding of who God is and what he's like and how he saves. And in that, we get this amazing phrase, tender <coughs> mercy. I have a drink right here. We, we get this amazing phrase, tender mercy. And so this morning, we're just going to have two points. And we're going to look at the tender mercy and John the Baptist and tender mercy and Jesus. 
It's really important for us to understand that this is not talking about Jesus. This is talking about John. And John was very unique, right? He is said here to be the one (coughs) that would prepare the way (coughs) before Christ. I'm not sick. My throat is is incredibly dry. John the Baptist is the guy known for coming before Jesus. That's his whole thing. He is so much the guy coming before Jesus that everything else about him is kind of weird and odd and strange. The Bible says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Everybody else gets the Holy Spirit when they get saved. He came out with the Holy Spirit. That's unique. But then he went into the wilderness where he stayed until it was time for his ministry. And when he came out, he looked like somebody that grew up in the wilderness. He had long hair and looked wild. and He wore camel's fur and he ate locusts and honey. His whole job was to point people to Jesus. That's John the Baptist. He's a special study. But in being that, there is so much mercy there. Because his whole job was to make sure people were ready for Jesus when they encountered Jesus. Isn't there mercy there? God designed that. God said, we can't just let Jesus come onto the scene and everybody's like, who are you? He sent somebody ahead of time to say, he's coming, that's him, get ready, better get your heart right, you better start repenting, better turn from your sins, you need forgiveness, I'm telling you he's coming, the most important one's coming, the king of kings is coming, you need to be ready for him. What a mercy. It's it's an announcement, it's a a warning, it's a a billboard, it's a, let me get your attention. It's that little truck behind the double wide that's taken up both lanes that says, wide load ahead, so that you don't get going too quickly and get pinned to the side because there's a thing up there taking up all the lanes. It's like that. And and what a mercy that is. God didn't just send Jesus. He sent an announcer before Jesus. That is a tender mercy, isn't it? He sent somebody ahead of him. A forerunner, John has often been called. One preparing the way. He didn't just come. He certainly didn't just come in judgment. He came after it was announced. They announced that he was coming, and then Jesus came. In the second advent, you're right, Christmas is the first advent. Advent means coming. In the second advent, we are told, aren't we often, that Jesus will come like a thief in the night, aren't we? This sky could bust open any moment when you least expect it. The Bible even says stay awake. You need to be ready for that. In the second advent, we are told he is coming like a thief in the night. But the first one wasn't like that at all. There was John the Baptist. There was Zechariah and Elizabeth. There was this amazing thing being told about a son, a child that's coming, that's going to tell you everything you need to know to get you ready for when Jesus comes. What mercy that is. God sent John before us to get us ready. Listen to how his 
calling, purpose, ministry is described. Look at Luke 1, 16 and 17. Listen to how John's life and calling and ministry is described. Luke 1, 16 and 17. Luke 1, 16 and 17. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Isn't that mercy? Isn't that so much mercy that God did that? He just sent this guy ahead to get the dads that are neglecting their kids back focused. He just sent this guy ahead to get the people that are disobedient to God, mindful of their disobedience to God. There's so much mercy there. Well, let's look at how he did it. Now turn over to chapter 3. Turn over to chapter 3. We're going to read how he did it. We'll start reading in verse 3, 3, 3, Luke 3, 3. Talking about John. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now that is Isaiah 40. It's a quote from the Old Testament. And John the Baptist is fulfilling that. Verse seven, he said therefore, okay, here's the mercy of John the Baptist and what he does. He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now I know you see that as maybe harsh or confrontational or tense. But there's so much mercy when somebody who is religious without redemption There's so much mercy when you bring to their attention that there's a merciful God out there. And working in religion to try to earn God is not the way. John the Baptist came to point people to the mercy of God. And sometimes getting people to see mercy means you have to conflict with their misunderstanding or lack of awareness of mercy. It goes on, though, verse 10. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? See, if we had stopped at verse 9, you'd have thought, no, that was just a tense moment. That was a fight. They probably started swinging. But no, in verse 10, it shows us how much mercy there is. They responded by going, okay, then what do we do? He answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to him to be baptized. And said to him, teacher, what shall we do? Then he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and 
We, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. See, John's ministry was going to whoever would listen and was getting them ready for Christ. Here he's speaking to crowds. There he's speaking to the Pharisees that were so caught up in how good they were at doing God things. Then he's talking to tax collectors. And he talks openly about how the practical ways we live and the way we treat people and the dishonesty that creeps into our lives and the crookedness that comes out because we're sinful. He addresses those things. He addresses the soldiers. He points all these people to live in a way that is honoring to God by repenting and turning to God. Hey, if you do business with people, be honest with them. Don't take them for more than you should take them. Hey, if you serve your country, serve your country rightly. Don't do it in a way that does not honor God. He says all of these things. No false accusations, no threats for people. Don't extort money. He's supposed to get into that stuff. But the point is, is he's recognizing in them that they're sinful and they don't know the way of grace and mercy. We often remind ourselves here at church these two simple working definitions of grace and mercy. Grace is when you get something you don't deserve. Hey, it's Christmas, and you're probably getting a present today. That's grace. Nobody has to get you a present, all right? They didn't have to. They didn't have to do that. That's why you shouldn't be spoiled. You shouldn't be ungrateful. You shouldn't say, well, I didn't want this. This wasn't on my list. I don't even like these. Right? That's misunderstanding grace. Nobody has to get you a present. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Mercy, very close to grace, kind of like the sister to grace, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Notice that the theme here in Luke 1 is mercy. Because when people sin against God and act like we don't need God and think we can do this ourselves, then we got it coming for us. God should judge us. God should get on us for not having lived for his glory. He tells us the most important thing in the world is to love him, and we don't love him. That's wrong. And so when he doesn't punish us and he doesn't judge us in in our sinfulness, he's being merciful to us. You could call it grace, but it's actually even more so mercy. When the world is fallen against God and just living however the world wants to live, and God, instead of judging and condemning the world, comes into the world to die on the cross for the world, it's mercy all day long. And when he comes like a thief in the night, there are going to be people going, oh, I wasn't ready. But when he sends somebody before and says, get ready, It's so much mercy. When he gives you a church that believes this book, and even when our music leader's out of town, you got a faithful family that'll step up and lead us in song so that we can gather here week after week through the snow and the ice 
wondering if we're going to slide all over the road or slip walking into the church. Yet here we are again being told that Christ is the way. That if you will repent, he'll forgive you. There's so much mercy in that. God is being merciful to you. Think about how good it was for everybody that met John the Baptist. Think about how fantastic it was for their life and their world and their mind and their conscience and their convictions and their guilt and their shame and their heaviness and their burden that John the Baptist comes along and says, hey, there's a Savior coming. Get ready for him. Man, he's so much better than me. I can't even undo his sandals. Turn from your sins. Look for him and believe. There's so much mercy there. On Thursday, Noah had a doctor appointment. And Val left to take him, and she got on the, the water sun, and all of a sudden there was a bad, bad crash on the water sun. And it stopped completely. And they set, stopped on the water sun for two hours. Couldn't turn around, couldn't exit, gridlocked right there. Missed the doctor's appointment. It's hard to reschedule doctor's appointments. Missed the doctor's appointment. But I needed to run out to try to pick something up, last minute Christmas shopper. And so Val called me. And she said, hey, I know you're about to run out. Don't come this way. Whatever you do, don't come up 65 don't try to get on the water, some going east. Don't do it. Go a different direction. So I went a different direction. I made it to where I was going, never encountered that. I went Snyder up, exit off somewhere up there, and made it. You know what I said after that? I'm so glad you called and told me. I'm glad you let me know. I would have hated to get stuck in a two-hour gridlock on the highway. It was a good thing that she let me know. It was helpful that she let me know. I'm glad she did. May you and I fear that dreaded expression of someone saying to us, how come you never told me about the tender mercy of God's heart. May you and I think about somebody close to us being in position to say to us, why, why didn't you tell me about the tender mercy of God? I mean, I know you went to church, but we never talked about his tender heart. Matter of fact, I don't think I've ever even heard you use the word mercy toward me. All I know is that you go to church a lot. Folks, in the ministry of John the Baptist, we see the tender mercy of God as he helped others be ready for the Savior. May you and I feel like John the Baptist, that we too can be front runners. We can help people. We can prepare the way. We can alert them that there is a tender, merciful heart in the one true and living God that made them and loves them. Number one, the tender mercy in John the Baptist. But number two, 
Since it's never about John the Baptist, it's always about Jesus. Tender mercy in Jesus. When you read this passage, okay, look back here at verse, um, let's look at Luke 176. Remember, he's talking about his son, John. He's not talking about Jesus. He says here, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Now, look at 77 and 78. To give knowledge of, his, of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Y'all, all this week, I've been laboring over and conflicted over What's the tender mercy? Is, is the tender mercy the, the, here, is it, is, it, is it the heart of God in that the salvation for his people and the forgiveness of their sins? Or is the tender mercy in that God sent John the Baptist to go before and tell people of God's salvation? That, that's hard to figure out. So I had to be honest with you all and say, you know, I don't really know. But, this commentary speaks exactly to it. Listen to this. It relates to the, to the description of John's call. The grammatical connection is debated and affects the sense of the passage. Does it go back to John going before? Does it go to John giving knowledge of salvation? Or does it go to the forgiveness of sins that God offers and therefore it's God? Since all of these actions are interrelated, it seems best not to specify the point of connection, but rather to regard mercy as a general qualification for all of these actions. As 178b makes clear, the entirety of the Messiah's coming also occurs in the context of God's mercy. It is true that both are mercy. The forgiveness of sins that God offers to anybody in the world is mercy. Is mercy. God is merciful to do that. And anybody that goes beforehand, like John the Baptist, and lets people know of the forgiveness of sins that are offered in the world through Christ is mercy. There has to be one here, but I don't really know. Both fit it, but there has to be one. I wanted to share that with you all. Nevertheless, it's tender mercy from God and we're looking now at the tender mercy of Jesus. I've given you the illustration of a stake. I've given you the illustration of my wife calling to say, don't come this way, and I'm glad she let me know. But perhaps an even better way of hurting you or, or, or bringing to your awareness the tender mercy of God is to talk about the opposite of tender. This too is a Bible word. The opposite of tender is tough or hard or even calloused. You know what a callous is, don't you? You can probably right now picture your dad's hands. I can picture mine or your grandfather's hands. They were so tough, had calluses all over them. A shovel would not hurt their hands. Callous is a good word, isn't it? It's the opposite of tender. 
But the Bible uses this word for us. I want to show you something. Turn with me over to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.32, this is the passage that Matt read earlier. He read from a different translation, the CSB, great translation. But it used the word compassion. In the translation I'm using here today, the ESV, look what it says in verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Tenderhearted is a great word for the church. Tenderhearted is a great word for anybody that follows Christ. I don't care how you were raised. I don't care how macho you are. Doesn't matter how independent you are, how self-sufficient you are, how much of a self-made man or woman you are, how much you don't need anybody's help because you can do it yourselves. We are to be tenderhearted because we need forgiveness. We cannot forgive ourselves. We must know the love of God that sent Christ to the cross, that took him down off the cross and buried him in the grave, but then out of his great power, raised him up to everlasting life. Christ lives, he lives today, and he lives forever, reigning over us. He's the king. We will all, every one of us, bow our knee one day soon to him. You will bow your knee one day soon to him, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you think of him. You will bow your knee to him. And if you turn to him and trust him, he will forgive you of your sins. And that mercy that he shows you to not beat you for your sins or judge you for your sins, but rather have shown that judgment on his son, that mercy to you is what the believer then extends to everybody else, forgiveness. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that if you cannot forgive others, your Father will not forgive you. This verse says that we are to be forgiving people because we are forgiven people. And that posture is a heart posture, a tender heart posture. But if you'll flip back, stay at Ephesians 4, to verse 18. Look what it says. Don't miss this. Verse 18 of chapter 4. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Look at this. Due to their hardness of heart. Verse 19. They have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The hardened heart, the calloused heart, is not sensitive to the ugliness of sin. The hardened heart, the calloused heart, is not sensitive to the way God feels about sin. doesn't care. I remember being in high school and college where I played basketball every day. Every day I played basketball for years. 
And I remember I'd come home after a practice or a workout or something, and I would grab me the biggest chug, jug of orange juice I could find. I loved drinking orange juice after basketball. And I'd take my shoes off. And I, I used to wear two pairs of socks, but I would take off both pairs of sweaty socks. And down on the, the inside of my big toe, I had the biggest callus. I mean, I remember in the summertime being out in the driveway, like grinding that callus on the pavement, just thinking, I don't even feel this. This thing's getting so hard on here that the, 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 the driveway doesn't even, I, I don't feel anything. I remember taking a pocket knife, and you've done this before, pocket knife or fingernail clippers, and just gnawing through that, carving through the callus, just cutting it off. It was so hard. And it was, it was so hard and tough that on that little part of my toe, I didn't feel anything. Blister, never. Probably had a blister years ago on it. It's probably what started it. It was so calloused and hard, I didn't feel anything there. There's a lot of people that are like that. They don't feel anything when they sin. They talk how they want to, think how they want to, look down on people however they want to, live life off for themselves however they want to, curse and talk however they want to, lust and passion for whatever they want to. They're not worried about it. It doesn't bother them. They're totally insensitive to what God says matters. Y'all, we're living amongst a whole world of people that by and large don't care about what God cares about. And I know that makes us an extreme minority. An extreme minority. I have this, I have this conversation with our, with our kids all the time. I know you don't see many people living for Jesus. I know at school there aren't many people that are sensitive to the things of God. That's all right, we ain't trying to be like everybody else. Our hearts are sensitive to what God says. If we're going to be the only people sensitive to what God says, that's okay. We'll be the only people sensitive to what God says. And then we remind them of their church. Hey, there's some kids older than y'all that are sensitive to what God says. Hey, there's some college kids here that play a lot of sports that are sensitive to what God says. Hey, there's some people who just got married in our church that are sensitive to what God says. There's some adults there's some Sunday school teachers. There's some senior adults here. There's some grandparents here that are sensitive to what God says. That's why we have a church. Because out there in the world, there's a lot of people not sensitive to what God says. But in here together, by the mercy of God, may you and I be so sensitive to what matters to the heart of God. Ephesians 4.32 tells us to be tenderhearted. Ephesians 4, 18 and 19 tells us of people that are calloused and hard-hearted. So if you turn back to Luke chapter 1, all of this here is about John. But John does everything that he does to point people to Jesus. In John chapter 1, see this is all Luke. In John chapter 1, John's on the scene, he's doing his ministry. Hey, y'all need to repent, you need to come get baptized. John's doing what he does. He's 
getting people's attention. Hey, you better get ready. I'm telling you, he's coming. And while John's baptizing, Jesus walks up. It's the first time in the history of the world that adult Jesus is seen. Nowhere recorded in the history of the world, in the Bible or outside of the Bible. Is there anything said about Jesus other than when he first comes on the scene with his ministry? And when he does, John, filled with the Spirit, turns everybody's attention, crowd bigger than this, and says, look, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. What a heart. All the talk in the world about God that misses it, I wish they knew that tender, merciful Because God sent his son to become our sins so that God could punish, wrathfully, justfully punish sin, judge it, so that he wouldn't judge ours, so that he wouldn't punish ours. The heart of God is so tender and merciful in Christ that God will welcome you into his family because he loves you and because of what Jesus has done. Tender mercy in John the Baptist, tender mercy in Jesus. Verse 77 says, to give knowledge of salvation. Hey, if you're here today and you've not been entirely distracted, you are aware of how salvation happens. You have that knowledge. God loves you. He is merciful toward you. He has a heart that would see you turn to him. The next verse says, or the next line in that verse says, in the forgiveness of their sins. I know you've sinned, and I know you've done wrong, and I know that it bothers you, and I know you wish you could get it back. I do too, in my own life. But the Bible's great message is that God forgives that. And he forgives it as far as the east is from the west. Because, verse 78, the tender mercy of our God. This past week, Carolina, my, my second youngest, got a splinter. It was a splinter so small you couldn't see it. You've had one of those before, right? She had a splinter so small there. She asked me to get it out, and I said, well, I will. You just need to get my pocket knife, and I'll get to cutting it open, and it's going to hurt more than a splinter. But we'll get it out of there, and then it won't hurt anymore. She said, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> so then she went to her grandmother, and she said, can you help me get this out? Her grandmother came with such sensitivity and gentleness. Got right to the splinter, 
and the pain that it was causing and fixed it. I haven't heard about that splinter or that pain since. The Bible says this morning that the God that made you has a tender, merciful heart toward your sin. And he gave his son that you would be forgiven. Do not harden your heart. Do not neglect it. Start today trusting in the God who loves you and is tender and merciful towards you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Zechariah's great two-word phrase, tender mercy. God, thank you that this is what you're like. Thank you that that's your heart. Thank you that Zechariah knew that. God, thank you for Christ. God, I pray here today that you would make us sensitive to what you're about. May we love you because you love us. May we want to be forgiven of our sins. Father, do that work in us today. In Christ's name we pray, amen.